Yo, this is Axel Rose of Guns N' Roses. Hey, this is Carmen Electra. Hi, this is Daryl Strawberry. What up, though? This is Big Snoop Deal Double G. Hi, this is John Stallard. Hey, yo, Hulk Hogan here. What's up? This is Beyonce. I got a great show lined up for y'all. Hey, yo, yo, yo. Let's get this party started. The Sports Beat. You know what? Let's keep it hot. The Sports Beat is off the chain, man. Ah, yeah. The Sports Beat. Download the podcast now. You're listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. All right, everybody, let's get this show started. Welcome once again to the Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge on this Friday, the Friday before Super Bowl 56. I'm excited about this show because I got Gabe Reynolds on and we are going to talk everything Super Bowl. But we had a very busy night in the world of sports to include the NBA Finals rematch, an upset in college basketball, and the NBA trade deadline has passed. The Nets part ways with James Harden. And the Columbus Rapids women's and men's team was on the pitch last night at the Civic Center as they split the series with the Fayetteville Fury. The Brooklyn Nets trade James Harden to the 76ers for Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, some other pieces, a draft pick. But James Harden is on the move. And now James Harden teaming up with Joel Embiid. Does this make the 76ers the favorites? The U.S. hockey team getting their first win in the preliminaries over China. Nine to nothing. The Columbus Rapids women's team picks up their second victory on the season by defeating the Fayetteville Fury 6-3. The men's team, however, fell short to the Fayetteville Fury 6-1. Clayton Adams did get a goal in that game. I had the privilege of calling these games with Harrison Davis. It was fun, and we really enjoyed it. It's going to be a busy week next week as we have three games in three days. President's Day weekend as the Columbus Rapids will be on the pitch starting on Friday. So let's talk a little bit about these games because the Columbus Rapids women's team was off to a hot start. Took the three-goal lead in the first half thanks to a goal by Olivia Gerald. Two more goals by Casey Hall. Megan Byers scored a goal. Brianna Conley scored a goal. So it was a very good night for the Columbus Rapids women's team. I was impressed with the way they attacked, and they did not let Fayetteville get into any opportunities. Every time Fayetteville scored a goal, they were there on the equalizer. And so they're now 2-5 and five in the NISL. The men's team taking on a strong Fayetteville Fury team that's undefeated in the NISL. Fayetteville was able to get the 6-1 victory as they played the possession game. And it's going to be tough. We may see the balance of power in the NISL as they will travel up to Memphis for a two-game series to take on the Memphis Americans. We have a big three-game series this weekend at the Columbus Civic Center between the Columbus River Dragons and the Delaware Thunder. And Zach DeBozart is going to be on the call. And you can listen to that game here on 99.1 WQEE FM The Key. Congratulations to the Eufaula Tigers for winning the 6A Region 4 tournament, and they will move on to the 6A Alabama State playoffs. You had Brookstone beating St. Ann Pacelli, looking for some payback in basketball. And don't forget, I will have everything high school basketball tournament next week as Spencer goes through the regular season undefeated, and they're the number one seed in the region, so that's going to be fun. And congratulations to the Hall of Fame 
class for 2022 for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. San Francisco 49er defensive end Bryant Young makes it into the class. Former Rams and Kansas City Chiefs head coach and Eagles head coach Dick Vermeil made it into the Hall of Fame. Left tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars, Tony Baselli. Defensive end, Richard Seymour. The late Sam Mills, the linebacker for the Carolina Panthers. And safety for the Green Bay Packers, Leroy Butler. I want to talk about Tony Baselli. Is this the first Jacksonville Jaguar to make it into the Hall of Fame? Kind of curious about that. And Dick Vermeil making it into the Hall. How come he hasn't been there before? He led two different teams to two Super Bowl appearances. As a San Francisco 49ers fan, I'm really happy for Bryant Young. He was drafted in the 1994 NFL Draft, and he was a catalyst on that defense that won a Super Bowl in the 1994 season. Boy, the 49ers hit home runs in that draft. Not only did they select Bryant Young out of Notre Dame, they got bar none, William Floyd, the talented fullback from Florida State, both in the first round. And then they get linebacker Lee Woodall, and he becomes a starter after Ricky Jackson gets hurt. Yeah, I know, I got this crazy random information about sports, but when you're a San Francisco 49ers fan like myself, you have all this 49er knowledge. So congratulations to the Hall. And congratulations for Aaron Rodgers for winning his second straight MVP. Cooper Cup gets Offensive Player of the Year, and Joe Burrow wins Comeback Player of the Year. So congratulations to everybody the NFL honors. We had a big upset in college basketball last night as Michigan upsets Purdue 69 to 50 at home. Purdue was one of my top teams that was fighting for a number one seed. Boy, that bracketology show is really going to change next week. I'll have my bracketology show right after the new college basketball rankings come out. That was a big win for the Michigan Wolverines. Congratulations to head coach Juwan Howard. And Michigan has been a very good basketball program. They're not ranked this year. Hopefully they can sneak into the tournament. They've made it to the championship game twice in the last 10 years. Losing to Villanova. Losing to North Carolina. I would like to see Michigan win a title. They haven't won a title since 1989. I was a big fan of the Fab Five. It's a shame that they cannot hang their runner-up banners from 1992 and 1993. We had the rematch of the NBA Finals last night as the Phoenix Suns got their revenge on the Milwaukee Bucks, 131-107. to And the Phoenix Suns, the best record in the NBA at 45-10. and They're doing it with youth, DeAndre Ayton, veteran leadership, Chris Paul, and a superstar, Devin Booker. I do like the role players like Mikael Bridges, Jay Crowder. They got some good players. And I think this is the year. I think that the Phoenix Suns will win the NBA championship. They could end up playing the Lakers in the first round. That would be an exciting game, but I think they're the better team. They've proven that they're the better team, and they can beat anybody in the Western Conference. That includes a healthy Golden State Warriors team. That includes a Utah Jazz team that traded away Joe Ingles, but they still have Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell. As the NBA trade deadline has passed, the Brooklyn Nets trade away James Harden to the Philadelphia 76ers in exchange for Ben Simmons and Seth Curry. The Sacramento Kings has made some moves, but... They parted ways with their second overall draft pick from the 2018 NBA draft, Marvin Bagley III. He just didn't pan out. That was in that draft where DeAndre Ayton went number one, but the Keens had an opportunity to draft 
Luka Doncic or Trey Young, and they failed. I'm not saying Marvin Bagley III is a bad player. He's not a superstar like Luka and Trey is. The Kings whiff on that draft pick like they have whiffed on other draft picks. Hit a home run with Tyrese Halliburton, and they traded him away. I guess they didn't want to have three point guards in the backcourt. Reminded me of the early 2000s with Isaiah Thomas and the five shooting guards on the roster. I'm going to talk about my guest because we are going to have a very busy show. Gabe Reynolds, what can you say? He's my Friday guest. He is a very passionate sports fan. He's got hot sports takes. He has a future in this business if he wants it. I know he's busy. He's an assistant basketball coach. Also a member of the military in the Tennessee Army National Guard. So we have this common bond as I'm also in the military. So without further ado, let's bring Gabe Reynolds on the show. Welcome back to the Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. Just a reminder, you are listening to this podcast on WQEE 99.1 FM, the key out of noon in Georgia. On the show today, I got Gabe Reynolds. Gabe. What's going on, everybody? Richard, thanks for having me back on. All right, let's talk about this Super Bowl. Super Bowl 56 in SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles. The Los Angeles Rams taking on the Cincinnati Bengals. The Rams are a four-point favorite. And this is going to be an exciting matchup because not only we have the two SEC quarterbacks angle, but we also have the improbable run that the Cincinnati Bengals had as they were 120 to one favorites to win the Super Bowl. 120 to one. That's crazy odds. The Rams are expected to be here. They traded all those draft picks to get Matthew Stafford. They knew that they could not win a Super Bowl with Jared Goff because they did get to a Super Bowl with Jared Goff in 2019. Right. They got they got Matthew Stafford for this reason to win it all. So, Gabe, what are your matchups and how do you see this game playing out? Well, Richard, the matchups that I'm looking at are going to be the Cincinnati offensive line versus the L.A. Rams defensive line. The Cincinnati Cincinnati offensive line, their job is they, they got a daunting task of trying to keep Joe Burrow upright. They've given up a league-high 51 sacks uh, the, the, when they, in the divisional round. The Titans sacked Joe Burrow nine times. And now they got a daunting task of having to try to contend with Von Miller on one side and Aaron Donald on the other side. That's a That's a nightmare for – any defensive line, but yet an offensive line, but yet alone the Cincinnati Bengals. If that, if the Cincinnati Bengals want to be able to have a chance to win this game, they have got to block, chip, scheme, stunt, do whatever they got to do to keep Von Miller and Aaron Donald and everybody on that defensive line from getting back there and touching Joe, Joe Burrow. If they can keep Joe Burrow upright and he can have the time, to get the ball down the field to his playmakers, that gives Cincinnati a great chance to win. They're going to have to be able to use, utilize the pass game to open up the play action and then get the run going so that they can keep those blitzing defensive linemen and linebackers from getting in the backfield. The other matchup that I'm looking at is going to be Cincinnati's secondary against OJ Odell Beckham Jr. and Cooper Cup. I want to see if they're going to be able to match up one-on-one or are they going to have to play zone the entire time? If they end up playing zone in the secondary, 
Matthew Stafford is going to pick them apart. If they play, if they play one on one, then you have the playmakers that can stay with a triple crown winner and Cooper Cup, and do you have the 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 speed to get with OBJ when he's running his routes and running deep? So it's it's gonna it's a it's a fascinating matchup both ways, but those are the two the two areas that I'm looking for in the game on Sunday. I'm interested to see how this matchup's going to play. Jalen Ramsey going up against Jamar Chase. We don't know the status of tight end Uzuma. He wants to play. He's got a high ankle sprain. But Joe Burrow is one of those quarterbacks that can create plays out of chaos. I saw in the AFC Championship game the Kansas City Chiefs defensive line was in the backfield, and Joe Burrow was using his athletic ability to skate out of the pocket and just shovel pass to Joe Mixon. I think that's going to be the key. If Joe Mixon, if Joe Mixon can get it, catch it out of the backfield and get some running back screens, I think that Cincinnati has a shot in this game to at least keep it close and possibly even win it. If they can keep it close, that works in Cincinnati's favor. As, as it's been proven, even no lead is 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 a good lead when you're in, when you're playing the Bengals. Ask the Kansas City Chiefs, ask the Tennessee Titans. So, if they can somehow manage to keep it close, they got probably one of the best kickers in the game. That's got ice rolling through his veins right now. I am with you. I do want to see the Jamar Chase Jalen Ramsey matchup, but it all goes back to does Joe Burrow have the time? Does he have the time? To get the to get his uh receivers open is the L.A. Rams secondary gonna cause a lot of coverage sacks. Joe Burrow can run, but so can Von Miller, so can Aaron Donald, so can those linebackers. So I, I'm not saying that I'm picking the L.A. Rams. I'm not saying that I'm picking the Cincinnati Bengals, but I will say it's going to be a chess matchup for both coordinators. The Cincinnati Bengals do have playmakers, but the Rams also have playmakers OBJ and Cooper Cup and Tyler Higby's status is still unknown. I'm interested to see how the running backs do. I think Joe Mixon is the better of the running backs. The Rams do have Cam Akers and Sony Michelle. So it'd be interested to see how well the running backs do. But let's talk about both defenses because we all know the players on the Rams. Aaron Donald, Von Miller, don't really know much about Leonard Floyd. Eric Weddle coming out of retirement to play in the Super Bowl. He could have a huge game as he had double-digit tackles in the NFC Championship game against San Francisco. And, of course, we all know about Jalen Ramsey. But what could be the X factor in this game? Who on the defensive side of the football for the Bengals, whether it's Eli Apple at the corner position or Trey Hendrickson rushing the quarterback, who is going to be the X factor in this game? I think it's going to be Henderson. I think Henry, Apple is going to get a lot of attention because of what he did in the, in the AFC Championship game. Well-rested. I think Weatherly is going to do his part, but I think Hendrickson is going to be the X factor here. He's going to get be able to make plays. He's going to be able to get, get back there. He's going to get to Stafford. They're not going to keep him away from uh, Stafford. He's going to get in the backfield. He's going to cause some pressure. He's going to cause some missed throws. He, if he can get Stafford to run, and he can get Stafford out of the pocket and make him uncomfortable, that's going to give Cincinnati a, a great chance at uh, winning their first Super Bowl 
in, in franchise history. That is a very good point. I'm actually looking at the injury report on the Rams. Uh, Taylor Rapp, he's a full go uh, after suffering a concussion. You have uh, Van Jefferson with the knee injury, Tyler Higby also with the knee injury. They expect to play. I mean, it's the Super Bowl. If Terrell Owens can play with a broken leg, they're going to play in the Super Bowl. I look at this Rams team. They were put together kind of like my favorite team growing up, the 1994 San Francisco 49ers. But sometimes these teams, they want to win by any means necessary. And owner Stan Kroenke said, you know what? I'm going all in. I'm going to buy this team. I'm going to trade away all the draft picks for the 2022 draft. We're going to get players. They're going to make an impact like Von Miller, Sony Michelle. They got Sony Michelle from New England for a fourth and fifth rounder. They got Jalen Ramsey from Jacksonville for a couple draft picks last year. Von Miller, Denver traded him away for a second and third round draft pick. Gabe, the Rams do not have any draft picks left in 2022. The Rams sold the farm to win now. This is where they wanted to be. They wanted to be in the Super Bowl. If they had to trade assets and capital, they were going to do that because they wanted to win and win now. This is their window. They The Rams have basically a two-year window, and they got there in year one when they went out and got Stafford. They got, they got Miller. They got McDonald. Ramsey came over. So they, they got OBJ. They got all the pieces right now to go out and win this Super Bowl this year in their home stadium to be the second team in NFL history to win a Super Bowl in their home stadium following last year's uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I like the Rams in this game. I think it's going to be closer than the experts expect. I think that line is going to go down to a pick them by game time, especially with the injury reports coming back. If the tight end for uh, Cincinnati does not play, expect that line to go back up because without if he plays, that gives Cincinnati another weapon on the offensive line to slow down those defensive uh, that defensive lineman. But it also gives uh, Joe Burrow another weapon to use. But I got I like Joe Cool. I like the swagger. I like what the Bengals have done, upsetting the number one and the number two seed en route to the Super Bowl on the road, but I think the magic runs out. I don't think they're going to beat another home team in their home stadium. I'm going to go with the Rams over the Bengals, 28-24. A very good pick, Gabe. What do you think about this coaching matchup? Sean McVay versus Zach Taylor, both young young coaches that came up and – Okay, the fact that Sean McVay has been here before. The Rams were in the Super Bowl. He took the Rams in his second year to the Super Bowl, and he is a disciple of Kyle Shanahan, comes off the Mike Shanahan coaching tree. So Zach Taylor also came from the Sean McVay coaching tree. He was the quarterback's coach for the Rams. So it's basically teacher versus mentor. Because Zach Taylor... What coached under Kyle? Yeah, Zach Taylor coached under Sean McVay for a year in uh, 2018 as he was the quarterbacks coach. So who has the coaching edge, Sean McVay or Zach Taylor? I want to say that Sean McVay has the coaching edge because he's been there before. 
and he knows what it's like being on this stage. But at the same time, Taylor has been there as well because he was on the staff the last time they went to the Super Bowl. So they've both been there. Um, I will say that I like what Taylor has done with the Bengals. He has that team playing out of their mind right now. And they've gone on the road in back-to-back weeks and knocked off the Titans and the Chiefs in in route to the Super Bowl. Um, the 49ers did that with Green Bay, but the Rams had to play them. But I, I just like what Taylor's doing. Taylor's gonna have Taylor's gonna have his guys ready to play. They have the players have the swag of their coach. And then they got the swag of, of Burrow in the back in the backfield. I think it's a pick 'em when it comes to the coaching. But if I had to choose which play, which coach is gonna have his players ready to play, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with McVay because McVay has all the pressure on him. Taylor Taylor has no pressure. His guys can just go play loose. And I'll have to look into the Super Bowl stats, but this could be the first time in Super Bowl history where we have two NFL head coaches under the age of 40 coaching against each other. Zach Taylor's 38. Sean McVay is 35. Oh, let me, wow. Let me get – let me confirm Sean McVay's age before I <laughs> – He looks like a kid. He looks like a – he looks uh, like he's he in his 20s. Sean McVay is 36. He had a birthday recently. Yes. Happy, yeah, January 24th. Sean McVay turned 36. Fun fact out of Marist High School in Georgia, Sean McVay in 2003 was the Georgia High School Player of the Year. You know who he beat out for Player of the Year in 2003? Matthew Stafford. Calvin Johnson. Megatron. Oh, Megatron. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Very right. interesting. And uh, Sean McVay, he's had just this incredible run. He's one of those coaches, when he was hired at the age of 31 in 2017 by the Rams, a lot of people were thinking, what was the Rams organization thinking? You know, Al Davis did this a while back when he hired Lane Kiffin at the age of 31. And it didn't quite work out for Lane. I don't think he was quite ready. Another young coach who was up and coming, Josh McDaniels, took a job about 10 years ago. But it seems like Sean McVay is ready. He's got some swagger as a coach. And the players will play for him. Not only that, but McVay is a player's coach. But he actually has a very innovative offense. And he he knows the language. He knows how to connect with those players. Yeah, I think you can... You're getting high, you're getting college players, 22, 21, 22, 23-year-olds, and you're playing with a coach that's like real loose, real laid back. They're gonna go out there and play. You know, nothing against the old guard of coaches, you know, the the Bill Belichicks and the Bruce Arians and things like that. But, you know, they they wanna they that's this is why these coaches are playing for Matt LaFleurs and Kyle Shanahan's and uh Arthur Smith. They're they're player coaches. They know how to get the best out of their players without always having to jump down their throat and yell at them all the time. So, hey, uh, McVay, he knows what he's – plus he's a winner. If he was doing this and his teams weren't winning, nobody would want him to go play for him. He's winning, and he's, and he's letting his players go out there and have fun. They'll play for you when you do that. We had some big NBA moves last night as the trading deadline ended. 
What do you think about the Brooklyn Nets trading James Harden to the Sixers? Well, another way to get what you want and get with another team two years in a row. But I will say that the Nets got the better deal in this trade. They took away Ben Simmons, but not only that, the Nets got the Sixers' best three-point shooter in Seth Curry. They got a they got another reliable big man in Andre Drummond, and they got draft picks. So you just basically gave the Nets another lifeline not only for this year, but for years to come. Because now that New York has lifted the mask mandate, guess who's able to play? Kyrie, Kyrie Irving, Irving can play in home games now. Kyrie Irving. I didn't even think about that. You brought a good point, Gabe. But right now, Brooklyn, 29-26, and 26, currently in the eighth seed. So if the season were to end today, they would be in the play-in game. They would take on Boston. And really – Miami right now has the best record in the NBA in the, in the Eastern Conference. Miami has the best record in the Eastern Conference. If Brooklyn played Miami at full strength, I would say I, even if Brooklyn is an eight seed and Miami's a one seed, I would take Brooklyn all day and twice on Sundays. Exactly. And you know why? Yep. You know why Brooklyn is falling back as far as they've fallen? Kevin Kyrie's Durant. been out hurt. Kyrie's yeah. not playing right now. Kyrie is out. And then James Harden basically forced his way out by missing games. Cool. All-star break's coming up. Kevin Durant's coming back. Kyrie's going to be able to play at home games. Watch Brooklyn go on a run and get right back into the mix in the Eastern Conference playoff chase. They're going to be right back up there. And again, here's an intriguing matchup. Where is Philly right now in it? Where, Where are they seated right now? They're currently the fifth seed. I get. I, I'm. I, mark my word. Philly is going to stay five, and Brooklyn is going to up the four. That'd be a first round matchup. Ooh, that would be a very interesting first round matchup. As we do approach the All Star break, uh, we get ready. When I was a kid, I used to love the All Star festivities, the slam dunk competition, the three point competition. But it's just not the same anymore. I don't know if you remember when Michael Jordan. Dominique Wilkins were matched up against one another in the slam dunk competition. Or I'll take it back maybe 20 years ago, Vince Carter in the slam dunk competition. How come the slam dunk competition is not as big as it used to be? Because nobody wants to be a part of it. And then the, pe- the people that you want in the, uh, in the slam dunk competition, like LeBron James and all of them, they don't want to play. So you're, you're getting good dunk. You're getting good performances but you're not getting the marquee players like i'm sure everybody would love to see john morant playing uh in in the dunk contest this year but john's not gonna be in the dunk contest so you're not you're it's not the same as it used to be in the past you're getting you're not getting the same caliber of an all-star game that you used to get if that makes sense gabe it does make sense uh let's talk about college basketball because I have my bracketology every week. I will preview. I will project my first four number one seeds, and then I will have my first four in and last four out. And even with all the upsets, Michigan beating Purdue, Auburn losing to Arkansas, I still think my number one seeds don't change. I still have Auburn, Gonzaga, Purdue, and Arizona. 
Who are your number one seeds for this tournament right now? Kentucky, Kansas, Gonzaga, Auburn. Wow, two number one SEC teams. So it really doesn't matter who wins the SEC tournament. They're still both going to get a number one seed. What if Kentucky? What if the, what if Kentucky loses the first round matchup in the SEC tournament? Do they drop to a number two seed? They if they lose in the, if they lose early and don't make it to the championship game, yes, Kentucky drops to a two seed. They drop to the two line. Interesting. I noticed that the Big Twelve is very top heavy. You got Kansas, Texas Tech, and Baylor all at number eight, nine, and ten. Purdue had a very easy path to a number one seed because the next Big Ten team right behind him is Illinois, but they faltered against Michigan in Ann Arbor. Michigan's unranked, and Purdue lost 69-50. to I think that might have cost the Boilermakers a number one seed. It may have now. I think they have a chance to redeem themselves by winning the Big Ten tournament. If they can win the Big Ten tournament, then yes, they got to they gotta a great chance of getting on the one line. But at the same time, I, I, I just believe that there's going to be two number one seeds out of the SEC. And that's going to that that's going to be that. But I, I like what Kansas is doing, but I also like what Texas Tech is doing. They're gonna they're gonna uh I don't think any I don't think anybody from the big ten is gonna be a one seed in this year's tournament. They'll probably be a they'll be a strong two seed, but I don't think they're gonna be a one seed. Gabe, who do you got winning the entire NCAA tournament? Ooh, that's a tough one. That is a tough one. I would probably say I'm a, I, I don't know. It's too close to call right now. Too many good teams out there. Like, I, I like Auburn. I like what they're doing. I want to say Auburn is, is my pick, but I don't know. Out on the limb. And I'm going to say this is going to be the year the Gonzaga finally breaks through. They've made it to the championship game twice, including last year against Baylor. I think Gonzaga gets it done. I think after 20 years of dominating the West Coast Conference, I think just the simple fact that the West Coast Conference is a little bit stronger this year with possibly getting four tournament teams, BYU, San Francisco, St. Mary's, and Gonzaga, I got a feeling that, that Gonzaga gets over the hump. I wouldn't count out Coach K and Duke. Duke's got a really good team this year. True. His last hurrah, that, that would be fitting for Duke to win an NCAA title in Coach K's last year. Right. I, I and they're they're even though they lost the other night at the buzzer to Virginia, they're playing really, really good basketball right now. And you get in if they get into the tournament as a one if they can somehow manage to get on the one line and become a one seed in the tournament, watch for Duke to get to the final four. And then if they get to the final four, depending on who they draw, I wouldn't. It wouldn't. It would not surprise me to see Duke in the championship. What I, I now a, a good champ, a good way for Coach K to go out and it be the changing of the guard. Duke, let it be Duke and Gonzaga, and and then Gonzaga winning against Duke. That would be a great changing of the guard right there. But don't count out. Don't count out Auburn and Bruce Pearl now, just because they lost the other night to Georgia. Not Arkansas. Georgia, Arkansas, Arkansas. That all all roads lead through Nash, lead through uh Atlanta for the SEC tournament. And the Auburn Tigers are they 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 got a good chance, even though when you get the tournament, the SEC tournament time, it's still Kentucky's it's still Kentucky's domain. 
And we are about a month away from Selection Sunday. I cannot wait. I'm going to be filling out my bracket. It's time for Bubble Watch. As this is according to Joe Lenardi at ESPN, Bracketology predicting the last four in. For those of you listening to us, the last four in means that these are the fifth, the 65th, 66th, 67th, 68th teams that get the last four spots. The first four out are the four teams that are on the outside looking in that more than likely will be number one seeds in the NIT. So the last four in, Miami, North Carolina, Creighton, and BYU. Now, if a team that is not even expected to make the tournament, if they come out of nowhere and they win their tournament, those one of those four bubbles is going to be burst. Gabe, I know that the, the debate, anytime they have Selection Sunday, we always talk about which team got hosed, which team should have went in. Here's your first four out. And tell me what you think about these four teams and should they switch roles? Should they be in and the other teams out? You got Florida, San Diego State, UAB, and Memphis. Mm, Florida's playing. Florida's playing some really good ball. They've they've dropped uh, some some games that they should have won here recently. Uh, BYU, they're they're gonna always be right there because they're always consistent. But I, BYU gives Gonzaga uh, fits every year, and that's normally the, the the West Coast Conference Championship game right there. So I wouldn't be surprised if uh, BYU uh, steals a bid and wins the uh, the WCC tournament because uh, they've done they've proven they've done it before and gotten two teams in there. Uh, being a homer, I like Memphis, but Memphis is starting. Memphis has had a lot of issues. They they've had they've dealt with two bouts of COVID. Uh, they've had uh, injuries. They don't have a, a consistent lineup. It's a lot of things going on at Memphis, but they just beat Tulane the other night. And Tulane was in the upper half of the uh of the American conference. So they got they got one on them. And then they got uh, they got Cincinnati coming up uh this weekend. So if they can if they can beat Cincinnati, that'll help Memphis help Memphis's resume out. And then they have they have uh, Houston playing. They're playing Houston uh, within a two-week stretch toward the end of the season with the possibility of playing Houston a third time in the uh, in the uh, American uh, tournament. So Memphis could eventually move up to last four in and possibly to one of the ones that are firmly, solidly in the tournament without being – in one of the playing games. Oh, I'm sorry. One of the first four games. So I like I like that. North Carolina is a team that scratches my head. I scratch my head with being on the last four. Because if you look at their record, their record is actually pretty decent. Um, but they lost to Duke. That hurt. They've lost to um, Virginia. They've lost to Florida State. But if they can get on a run and get back up in the upper half of the ACC going into the ACC tournament, 
they'll come. I think they'll come off the um, off the bubble and be squarely into the tournament. Right now, North Carolina has a nine and four record in seventeen and seven overall. They definitely need help. They need to pick up a few more wins and do well in the ACC tournament. Gabe, I cannot wait until the new rankings come out on Tuesday so we could talk about what could possibly be the new rankings. I believe Houston's going to fall in the rankings after losing to SMU. Purdue is definitely going to fall in the rankings. And we might see some teams that are projected to be new number ones, like you mentioned, Kentucky, Duke. In Kansas, if these teams finish strong, it looks like they'll probably get the number one seeds along with Auburn and Gonzaga. I believe Auburn and Gonzaga are locks for number one seeds. Unless Auburn falls off a cliff, Gonzaga's not going to lose any more games. They're going to they're going to win out and win the WCC. Auburn, I I believe Auburn is strong enough to win out, possibly lose to Kentucky in the SEC championship, or I see that game against Tennessee, the finale. That could be a game where they stumble. But Auburn would have to fall off a cliff to be denied a number one seed, in my opinion. Well, being that, you know, going to the jungle is a tough place to play. Bruce Pearl has made Auburn basketball like Cal, like Kentucky basketball. You go down a couple of years ago when Bruce took over the job, it was barely a lot of fans there. Now, you know, they got they got to the final four. More people were coming out. And now they got their first number one ranking in school history. And that's a loud place to play. Just ask Alabama to, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Anybody that has to go into Auburn and play them, they're going to be in for a rough night. But you got to play the SEC tournament on a neutral court. And they're going to Atlanta. So you're playing the SEC tournament in Atlanta, and we all know that Kentucky travels well. Kentucky plays is a home game for them, no matter where it is. There's going to be Big Blue Nation is going to come out in force. If Auburn can can maintain their momentum, get past Arkansas again if they meet up in the SEC tournament, get past Tennessee, and, meet, and if Kentucky can do their part and they get there and Auburn beats Kentucky, Auburn would be the overall number one seed. And I could still see Kentucky, even with the loss, being right there. So I I think I, I just think that it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. The SEC is gonna be tough night in night out because that's what the motto says. It just means more. So they're gonna they're gonna beat up everybody. But once they get through playing all the SEC teams and they go out and play other teams from other conferences, watch out for the SEC. I wouldn't be surprised if you see three SEC teams in the Final Four. You could Very get Tennessee. Tennessee can get there. Auburn can get there. And we know Kentucky could get there. So think about it. The SEC is dominant right now. The SEC is dominant right now on the men's side, the women's side. It's, it's big. It's big. Look at the SEC women. You got you got two SEC, three SEC teams in the top ten on the women's side with South Carolina being number one. Tennessee is still up there. And then you got LSU making a run. Kim Mulkey's got LSU playing lights out in her first season. Nobody expected LSU to be there right now. You got Georgia playing well. You got Ole Miss playing playing well. The SEC top to bottom men and women in basketball right now, they are very dominant. Very dominant. 
Gabe, but you seem to have a, an investing interest in women's college basketball. You must have former players that used to play for you going on and play college basketball. I do. Um, you know, I've been coaching. I've been coaching uh, high school girls basketball since 2011, and I got one of my players right now playing for Mercer University, uh, the Mercer Bears. A uh, Morgan Neal yeah. Tyser. She she's she's on a tear right now. She just got named SoCon player of the week after averaging 21 points a game in three games last week. Uh, she just entered the 1,000-point uh, club last month. And, you know, she they're, they're playing, the Mercer Lady Bears are playing really well and are on track to win the SoCon tournament and get back to the, uh, to the NCAA tournament uh, this year. Last year they played uh, South Carolina. And Amoria, my former player from uh, Lee County High School, in uh, Sanford, North Carolina, she she made a name for herself against Don Staley and Aaliyah Boston, the South Carolina Lady Gamecocks. Impressive. Mercer uh, down my neck of the woods, Macon, Georgia. Yep, yep. So there, I, I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm just a basketball junkie all the way around. I like women's basketball. I like men's basketball. Uh, we have a, a big game tonight. My high school team up here in uh, Nashville, we got a big, big time game tonight. Uh, we're we're playing for the district championship regular season title. Um, our boys are playing for the uh, regular season district title against the number one player in the country, McDonald All American Brandon Miller, who's uh, who's already committed to the University of Alabama. So he'll be at uh, he'll be playing for them next year. So it, it, it's, it's a great time to be a basketball fan right now. All right, before we close the show, uh, give me your dark horse in men's basketball. That is a non-power school. Somebody like a Murray State who's ranked 23rd, 23-2 and two overall. Usually when it comes NCAA tournament time, there's always that team like a Florida Gulf Coast or like a Loyola Chicago that makes it all the way to the Final Four. A couple of years ago, way back in 2006, George Mason started this run, making it to the Final Four. VCU makes it to the Final Four, Wichita State. Which non-traditional power could make that run in the NCAA tournament? Uh, I would say watch out for you already. You already said it. Loyola Chicago. They lost. They lost uh, their coach Porter Moser to Oklahoma, and they hired uh, Valentine. I want to say Denzel, but I think Denzel is his brother that played at Michigan State. But the coach now at Loyola Chicago was a grad assistant at Michigan State uh, with Tom Izzo. And he's got Loyola Chicago. They're not missing the beat, even though even though they lost their head coach. They still returned a lot of the players. And if you go back to the beginning of the season, they played uh, Michigan State down in the uh, Battle for Atlantis, and they gave Michigan State all that they could handle, and Michigan State won at the buzzer. So I, I like what Loyola Chicago is doing. Don't count them out. Another team that I would not count out um, that's a non-traditional power, Belmont out of Nashville, Tennessee. Casey Alexander has those guys playing really well. Uh, Rick Bird was, the, was their previous coach. Uh, he was a legend up here. And he, had, he put Belmont back on the map. They've gone out during the regular season. And they've knocked off some traditional powers. 
Um, but Casey has uh, stepped in. They haven't missed a beat. And if they can get back to the NCAA tournament and not be in the first four, watch out for Belmont to upset some people. If they can be the 10 seed and not the 11 seed this year, watch for Belmont in that 10-7 game. Watch for them to pull a 10-7 a upset. And Belmont is currently in second place in the Ohio Valley Conference behind Murray State with a 21-5 record and 11-2 in conference play. Belmont, it's funny you mentioned about the Belmont Bruins. They were in the next four out on the bubble watch. So if they could get a good run going, they would have to win the Ohio Valley Conference to get into this tournament. But they could start getting on a run. What's, he do- what's coming up? They haven't – Murray State hasn't played Belmont yet. They're, getting, they're, they're actually playing this weekend uh, in Murray. And then in two weeks, they play back down here. So that may be a potential uh, OVC uh, championship game right there. And that'll be the last time that they play each other because after this season, um, Belmont is leaving to go to the Missouri Valley Conference. And I think Murray State is leaving. Now, Murray State will still be in the OVC, but this will be the this will be the uh the last time. So even though Murray State is ranked, those you know Belmont's got two losses, but don't don't count them Bruins out yet. That is great. It's always nice to see Belmont do well. I remember back twenty years ago they've had the longtime rivalry with Lipscomb, and of course they used to be in the NIA with our alma mater, Freed Hartman. Yep, yep. Rick Bird took, you know, Rick Bird started that. He got him from uh, NAIA to Division Two to uh, Division One. Uh, same with Lipscomb, uh, with uh, Coach Meyer, and you know, it's just, you know, it, it's just been, it's just been good basketball. It's a lot of good basketball history around Nashville and around, especially in Tennessee in general, from men, from men's side, men's side all the way to women's side. So you got, some, you got some really good basketball, high school college and now pro being played in the in the great state of tennessee that's always great i'm really looking forward to our weekly show breakdown everything college basketball especially with football season ending i know gabe that you are definitely going to bring it every week as we get ready to talk about college basketball i'm excited i'm excited for selection sunday in about a month i'm excited for these conference tournaments and not just in NCAA Division One. I. I also am a fan of NCAA Division Two, as I talk a lot about Columbus State on my podcast. And we also have the NAIA with Freed Hardman, and of course Point University here, and then also Lagrange College NCAA Division Three. So there's just a lot of levels that I talk about. But Gabe, I appreciate your basketball knowledge, and I appreciate you just being a guest on the podcast. Hey man, I'm, I'm I appreciate you having me. Looking forward to coming back every week if you, and, and, and talking sports with you, man. Especially with basketball, oh. that's the as a coach, that's the best time right there. Third season, basketball is broken up into three seasons. You got your preseason, you got your conference season, and then you got your tournament season. And as a coach, you 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 look forward to tournament season because now it's win or go home. All right, as always, thank you so much again. That's Gabe Reynolds on the Sports Beat. Thank you, everybody has. Thank you, everybody who has listened to my podcast. And don't forget that you can catch a portion of the podcast every day from Monday through Friday on WQEE 99.1 FM, the key out of Newton, Georgia. And I hope that everybody has a great weekend as we have the Super Bowl coming up. Enjoy watching the Super Bowl. 
And we will be back here Monday to recap the Super Bowl. Have a great weekend, everybody. Bye. You've been listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdred. We invite you to download and subscribe. You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Google Cast, Stitcher, iTunes, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share with your friends and family. This has been The Sports Beat, with your host, Richard Holdred. Produced in Columbus, Georgia. Extra production provided by J.D. Matthews. All opinions stated herein are those of the host and do not represent the opinions of Anchor Podcasts. Copyright 2020, all rights reserved.